Let's turn over to Genesis chapter 3, and I want to share something with you that if you can get hold of this, I tell you what, it's going to change the way you view some things, and hopefully it will change your actions and your thought life. In Genesis chapter 3 is the instance where Satan came against Adam and Eve and tempted them, and they fell into sin. And look in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Notice that Satan chose a very subtle animal. There is a lot of significance in that. I won't take time to go into all of that. But let me say that Satan doesn't have the power to force anybody to do anything. Satan didn't use a mammoth to come and just, you know, put his foot on their head or on their neck and threaten them. He didn't use some lion or tiger to come and growl at them and to intimidate them. He used an animal that was subtle to come trick them. Satan has no power against you. Many times people will think, well, the devil made me do this, or they think the devil's overpowering them. Satan has no power to do anything in your life. His power is deception. And he came with his most subtle deception against Adam and Eve. You know, before we go any further, let me just ask you something. If you were the devil, now somebody, I want you to think about this. Some of y'all have a hard time relating to this. Others can picture this pretty easy, amen. <laughs> if you were the devil... And if you were trying to tempt perfect people, how do you tempt somebody that's living in paradise? Now think about this. You know, in our situation today, it's easy to figure out how you'd tempt a person. You could tempt them with sexual things, but you couldn't tempt Adam and Eve with sexual things. There was nobody else to lust after. It was impossible to commit adultery. There was no one to lust after. There was nothing that was forbidden. There was nothing that they couldn't do. You couldn't tempt them with any sexual things. You couldn't tempt them with money. You couldn't tempt them with power, things like that, because there was no such thing as money. There was nothing to buy. They had everything provided. They didn't have any needs whatsoever. You couldn't tempt them with being bitter because there was nothing to be bitter about. They lived in perfection. They didn't have any needs. They had never been abused. They couldn't go back and blame it on their dysfunctional family. They had never had a bad experience. They had never been depressed. They had never been hungry. They had never been anything negative. They were living in perfection. This was paradise. How do you tempt a person who's perfect? You know, if you stop and think about this, this is major. I mean, it is amazing that Satan could ever tempt a person who had everything and God fellowshiped with them every single day in the cool of the evening. They had everything. There was no lacks. There was no problems. There was nothing. And yet, he tempted people. You know how he did it? Well, read on here. He said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. And here's the real temptation. You know, eating of the fruit was not the temptation, really. It wasn't the fruit. The fruit had been there. Who knows how long they had been, you know, living before this time, and the fruit had been there before. But the thing that became the temptation is in the fifth verse. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You know what the temptation was? Satan tempted them that you're missing something. You aren't seeing it correctly. You don't really, you don't have everything. 
He tempted people who had everything and they became discontent with what they had and were convinced that they needed more to really be happy. Now this is amazing. If you can understand what I'm saying right here, then this makes a major point for us. See, most people think that their happiness, their contentment, their joy level is dependent on things. If I just had more things, if I had this, and if it's not carnal things like houses and cars and money and stuff like that, well then if I just had a different wife, if I had a different husband, if I had a different job, if I had a different situation, if I lived in a different place, if I had a different work schedule or whatever it is, we're always looking for something else and thinking that if these things were to change, then we basically believe that my happiness and my joy is a byproduct of surroundings. This forever ought to kill that because Adam and Eve lived in perfection. They had nothing wrong and basically Satan made them discontent with what they had and felt like that, man, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. He tempted them saying that you don't have everything. If God, if Satan can tempt perfect people who did have everything and convince them that they weren't complete, that they needed more, then don't you think that Satan could take people who are incomplete and who have all kinds of problems and all kinds of negatives in their life, don't you think he could convince you that you need more to be happy? And that's exactly what Satan has been doing. Satan preys on discontentment. I can say this, too, that, you know, un unless you become discontent, you can't enter into sin. Did you know that all sin is founded in discontentment? The Scripture talks about over in, uh, let's look at this, over in Proverbs chapter 5. In Proverbs chapter 5, in verse 7, it says, Hear me now, therefore, O ye children, and depart not from the words of my mouth. Remove thy way far from her, and come not nigh the door of her house. He's talking about the adulterous or strange woman here. In verse 9, Lest thou give thine honor unto others, and thy years unto the cruel. Lest strangers be filled with thy wealth, and thy labors be in the house of a stranger, and thou mourn at the last when thy flesh and thy body are consumed, and say, How have I hated instruction, and my heart despised reproof, and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to them that instruct me. I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation and assembly. What he's doing is talking about remove yourself from the adulterous woman, from the strange person. Don't go commit adultery. And he gives you a number of reasons. He says you're going to lose your wealth, you're going to lose your health, you're going to be consumed, and at the end you're going to say, how have I hated instruction? Why did I do this? Now see, that's the reason that most people use. But then, beginning in verse 15, he comes back to another reason here. He says, drink waters out of thine own cistern and running waters out of thine own well. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad and rivers of water in the streets. Let them be only thine own and not strangers with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. He's not really talking here about fountains. He's talking about you, amen. He's saying enjoy your wife is what he's talking about. And then he goes on in the 19th verse, he's talking about your wife. Let her be as the loving hind in the pleasant row. Let her breath satisfy thee at all times and be thou ravished always with her love. And why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger? For the ways of men are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. See, the reasoning he comes back to here, he says, 
enjoy your wife. Be ravished with her. Enjoy her as much as you want to. Why would you go to a stranger? You know, basically what he's saying is that if you were content with your own mate, you'd never go commit adultery. If a person really loved their mate, you cannot commit adultery. You will not lust after other people if you are totally ravished with the love of your own mate. Before a person can go commit adultery, you know what? You have to get dissatisfied with your very own mate. Now, most Christians, again, don't want to go commit adultery. They resist that. They try and fight those thoughts, but you know what? They will allow dissatisfaction to come in with their mate and not understand that that is the first step towards sin. They will allow dissatisfaction. Some of you think, well, I don't want it. It's just the facts. That's the way they are. No, it's your perception. It's the way that you're looking at things. Satan loves to gravitate towards the negative. Adam and Eve became dissatisfied with their existence and they were living in perfection. God had provided everything for them. There was nothing wrong with Adam and Eve. They were living in perfection and yet Satan got them to thinking that, boy, I need more. I need this tree. You know, if he would have come at them differently, if he would have phrased this temptation differently, if he would have approached them and, he, you know, I don't know how many trees there were in the garden, but let's just say that there was a thousand fruit-bearing or, or herbs trees that you could eat from. There's probably more than that, but whatever, however many trees there are in the world today that you can eat from, there was that many in the garden. And so if you say that there was a thousand, if Satan would have come to them and if he would have said, has God said that you can only eat of 999 trees out of the thousand? If he would have said that, that totally would have defeated the temptation because see, the way that it was phrased, it would have been a reminder to them about all of the good that God had provided. He had blessed them with so many things, all this abundant fruit and everything else. If he would have phrased it that way and if they would have thought about, man, there's 999 trees, by the time they got to the one that God forbid, they would have said, who cares? Who cares why God told me not to eat of this? He's so good. He's already blessed me with 999. Why would I worry about one? But the truth is, see, that Satan loves to get our attention off of the positive, off of all of the good, and we have become masters at gravitating towards the negative. I mean, we are masters. It is demonic, supernatural, how that we can see past all of the good and see the one rotten thing in any person or in any situation or in anything. It's become fallen human nature. Scripture says over in Proverbs chapter 27, look at this passage of Scripture. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 20, it says, Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. Do you know the word full and satisfied are the same Hebrew word right here? It's just translated two different ways in this one verse. Hell and destruction are never full. There's always room for more. The eyes of man are never satisfied. Some of you think, well, if I could just get this, I'd be satisfied. Satisfaction is not based on things. Human nature cannot be satisfied. Self is like a dope addiction. You give it enough to get it high, and then it wears off, and you have to have a different, a higher dosage to satisfy you the next time. There are some of you that thought if you just had a new house, a new car, new wife, new husband, you'd be satisfied. You get it, and guess what? You still aren't satisfied. You're still things wrong. You, it's not your mate that's the problem. It's not your situation that's the problem. It's your lust that's the problem and the desire that we have that we cannot be satisfied, and we're under this deception of waiting on physical circumstances to produce satisfaction. It doesn't come that way. 
You need to recognize that your total satisfaction should be in Jesus, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always enough. You ought to find your 100% satisfaction in him. But the truth is, see, we become masters at finding all of these negative things. I actually heard a tape by a man one time. This was a minister. And this minister was grieved over his wife because she didn't study the Word. She wasn't as spiritual as he wanted her to be. And he had talked to her and tried to get her more spiritual, and she still wasn't spiritual. And finally, he was so discouraged that he was having thought of, I ought to divorce this woman and get me a spiritual woman that could really help my ministry. Man, you know, she could be an asset and a benefit to me. And he, he was smart enough to know that that was the wrong thinking. But nonetheless, that's what he was thinking. And so he went to the Lord about it, and he says, God, I know something's wrong. Help me here. What's wrong? And the Lord led him to say, don't you pray for your wife for two weeks. Don't you ask me to change her to do anything in her life. Instead, you ask me to show you one positive thing about your wife every day. And so the first day, he said he had to pray to see any positive thing about his wife. I've seen this a lot. I've seen people come into marriage counseling and they're so upset over the thing that they're looking at that they say that they're, they're just nothing good about them. They don't ever do anything right. They don't ever do anything for me. And yet I'm looking at them and I know them and I say that this is really a godly person. I can see all kinds of good things in them. And I've asked people in marriage counseling before, I said, isn't there anything good about your wife? Isn't there anything good about your husband? And I've actually had people before say, no, I can't think of one good thing. And yet I can see all kinds of good things. I mean, it's good that they didn't just, you know, beat them over the head for that kind of response. They control themselves. That's good. Amen. But they just can't see anything good. Anyway, this minister had to pray and ask God to show him one good thing about his wife every day. And you know, at the end of two weeks, God had started showing him that, man, your wife has been faithful to you. She has never, she will never commit adultery on you. And he started praising God for that. And then he says, man, that woman has given her life for you and for the kids, and she has been an excellent mother, and she loves them, and she has stood by you. Then he showed, her all of the, he showed him all of the things that a pastor's wife goes through, the rejection and stuff, and that she had never gotten bitter. She had never turned against the ministry. He just started showing her things about her one after the other. And at the end of two weeks, this man was on his face, praising God and saying, thank you, Jesus, for such a godly woman. And he was saying, God, forgive me for my thoughts against this woman. Now, see, he could have taken this approach and says, no, in the name of Jesus, I will not commit adultery. I am not going to do this. I am not going to divorce her. I'm not going to go get somebody else. And he could have gutted it out and toughed it out and all those other things. But you know another way to deal with this is get rid of the discontentment Start recognizing the positive things that are in your mate. If you're satisfied with her at all times, you will not want somebody else. If you've got a lust for somebody else, it's because you've allowed discontentment to come into your life. And some of you are thinking, well, if you were married to who I was married to, you'd be discontent too. Not so. You can choose to love anybody. I guarantee you, God didn't love you because you were lovely. Amen. God chose to love us because God is love. And the scripture tells us it's a command. Man, the scripture says you are commanded to love your wife. It's a command. It's not an option. It's not if they fulfill all of your requirements, if they measure up to every you know, model that's on television, if they look like that every morning. You know, you don't see those people when they wake up in the morning. 
You don't see them with curlers in their hair. And you develop these false impressions and stuff. God didn't say if it's something that you feel like. You are commanded to love your mate. And women, the scripture says in Titus chapter 2 that the older women are supposed to teach the younger women to love their husbands and to love their children. See, our society thinks, well, I'd love them, but I just can't. I just, you know, it's gone. I don't know. It's bigger than you and me. It's just, we depict love as being this little naked baby that goes around and shoots you and you fall in love and you fall out of love and it just strikes you and comes on you like a seizure and you can't control it. That's not love, that's lust. God's kind of love is something that you can teach. You can choose to love a person. You can choose to, to love. And the way you do it is by thinking on the good things. If you can't see any good thing, it's your vision that's wrong, not the person. I guarantee you every person's got something good in them. See, if Satan would have approached Adam and Eve and if he would have said, what about the 999 trees? Are you satisfied with just 999? Let's go for the one. Focus on the one. If he would have presented it that way, they'd have never bought into this thing. They'd have said, hey, it's not worth it. See, the devil will point out the one thing in your mate. The devil will point out the one thing in your job. The devil will point out the one thing in your finances, the one thing in your life that's not perfect, and he'll get you focused on that so that all you do is pray about the negative. All you do is see the negative, you're focused on the negative, and then you become discontent, you become dissatisfied, and once that happens, then you're ready to jump ship. You're ready to change. You're ready to do something. If you can keep yourself happy and content, I guarantee you, you will not go out and sin. Operating in joy and happiness is a very important part of the Christian life, and if you are allowing yourself to be discontent, you have just opened yourself up to the devil. This is the temptation that he used on Adam and Eve. He got them dissatisfied with perfection, wanting more. As long as you're hungry for more and you aren't satisfied with what you've got, you are in the midst of temptation. Scripture says over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted. Above that you are able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. That scripture says that there is no temptation but what is common, normal to all of us. Satan loves to make you think that you've got some temptation, some problem that nobody else has ever had. If he can get you to believe that, then you hear me up here saying all of these things and saying you should be able to praise God in every situation. You should be content and satisfied. But if you think that your situation is unique, nobody knows the troubles I feel. Nobody's ever been tempted the way I do. If you think that, then you are going to exempt yourself from the answer that I'm giving. And you're saying, well, yes, brother. That works for most people, but you just don't understand. I've got a unique situation, and it just exempts you from the answer. The truth is that there is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. It's the same thing against you that's come against me and against all of us. Satan just puts it in a different package, a different wrapper, a different bow, but it's the same temptation. The same way he tempted Adam and Eve is the same way that he's tempting you and me today, and he comes... And instead of focusing on all of the good that God has done, he makes you focus on the negative, the one thing that you don't have in your life, makes you discontent, dissatisfied, and it's your lust for more that actually provides the motivation, the motor behind the temptation. You deal with that lust, you deal with your emotions, and I guarantee you temptation will vanish. 
You become satisfied to where you're praising God and thanking Him for every day and what you do have, not what you don't have. And I can promise you, temptation and pressure on you will vanish. Joy is a powerful thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 says, I fear lest as Satan beguiled Eve, or as the serpent beguiled Eve, through his subtlety, so your mind should be beguiled or corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. He's, he likens it here, right? Paul said it's the same thing that happened with Adam and Eve. Satan deceived Adam and Eve through the, you know, the, his subtlety, craftiness, deception, and I fear lest your minds become corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. You know, the truth is we don't have reasons to be griping and complaining. God has blessed us. He's given us everything, and yet we fall into this same pattern. We're over here looking at the one thing that you don't have. Satan is making you lust for more and more and more, and it drives you to dissatisfaction. I tell you, one of the things that happens when people go overseas, and I mean it's invariable that this happens, you go overseas, you see how the rest of the world lives, you see the struggles that they have, financial, social, all kinds of things. And I, I guarantee you, my oldest son, the first time he went to Russia, he came back and he got off the plane and kissed the ground. It had an impact on him. I tell you what, people, if you ever go overseas and see that we are the most blessed people that have ever lived on the face of the earth, we are blessed, blessed, blessed. If you're in the poverty level, did you know you're, ble you're more blessed than a lot of millionaires in other countries? You are blessed, 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 and yet Satan can make you focus on the fact that, well, my TV, my color TV is three years old and it's not perfect anymore, and you can get down in the dumps and depressed and discouraged because you don't have a brand new color television. I mean, your car works fine, but the new smell's worn off, and you've got to have one that smells new. You can go buy that for a dollar and spray it in your car, did you know it, and make that thing smell brand new. But we get to where we're lusting for this, and we become dissatisfied with that, and we want a new wife, because this one, I've already sucked all the life out of her. I've already got everything good she's got to offer. I need a new one that I can drain for a while. Man, the truth is, it's not your problems, it's a problem. It's your attitude. It's the fact that we've allowed ourselves to become discontent. We've allowed the devil to take away our joy, and we aren't walking in the joy and in the peace of the Lord. Man, we're blessed. If you're believing God for a healing, some of you think, but man, my, somebody's dying, I'm dying. I can't be happy in that situation. Yeah, you can. I believe in healing, and I believe that God is going to heal. I believe it's God's will to heal. And you know what? You need to anticipate that and just rejoice by faith every once in a while. But even if you didn't see the person heal, man, if they know the Lord, they're going to be with the Lord. Man, what a tremendous assurance. You don't have to be fearful the way other people are. I mean, if you win, you win. If you lose, you win. You can't lose for winning. Man, God has blessed you and blessed you and blessed you. You've got every reason to be praising God. I believe in prosperity, but so what if you never prospered? You got a mansion prepared for you in glory, and Jesus has been working on it for nearly 2,000 years. I mean, for Jesus to spend 2,000 years working on these mansions, this is going to be some pad. Amen. I mean, we got something to rejoice about. So what if you never saw a lot of abundance right here? I believe in abundance, but if you never saw it, you still got reason to rejoice. You don't have a reason to be griping and complaining. It doesn't matter what you've suffered. The scripture says he's going to wipe away all tears from your eyes. Man, it's going to be well worth it. There's going to be a time of rejoicing that will, I mean, it'll last throughout all eternity. 
if you've blown it big time, if you're nothing but a total failure, you know, because of your faith in the Lord, you're going to be, you are already accepted in the beloved, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. And God is going to accept you right in the very presence of heaven and he's going to wipe away all of the junk and just leave nothing but the good and you're going to be accepted the same as the Apostle Paul. The scripture says we're all tempered together so that there's no schism in the body. That means that I'm going to get the same love, the same recognition that Paul got. Now, he may get some rewards that I don't, but the scripture even shows us that the people in heaven take their crowns and throw them before the Lord. I guarantee you, Paul, all of his great rewards that come his way, Paul is going to know that, man, it was the grace of God that got him in, not his great performance, and he's going to take all of his rewards and all of his glory and throw them before the throne of God, and Paul and I are going to be standing side by side, having the same love from the Lord, the same blessing. I'm going to be equal unto him. Amen. If you're the sorriest saint that ever lived, rejoice, because someday you're going to be right up there with everybody else walking in the presence of God. you got things to rejoice over. Man, we got reason to be praising God, but the devil makes you focus on the little negative things in your life and that discontent breeds and provides the motivation behind your temptation. Look over in the 14th chapter of the book of John. I'll show you that this is not an isolated case. The same thing happened with the disciples of the Lord. In John chapter 14, Jesus said this, in verse 4, he says, And whether I go ye know, and the way ye know. Now, do you understand what Jesus just said? He said, You know where I'm going, and you know how to get there. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and we don't know how to get there. It's amazing. You know, when you read this, you need to read it like it's real. Sometimes we just read the Bible and we don't think. I mean, Jesus just said, you know where I'm going and you know how to get there. Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. We don't know how to get there. It's just like saying, Jesus, you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm right. You're wrong. Most of us would never say that to Jesus in church. <laughs> but I guarantee you in your life, just like Clifton was teaching this morning, the scripture says that you are the righteousness of God. You are accepted in the beloved, and yet your thoughts think, I'm the scum of the earth. How could God ever love me? We exalt our thoughts above what God says all of the time. And so Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. This time it's Philip in verse 8. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. You know what the word suffice means? Satisfy. Peter, Philip was saying, Lord, if you'll show us the Father, we'll be satisfied. You know what you can draw from that? They weren't satisfied with Jesus. Jesus just said in the previous verse, if you had known me, it's exactly the same as knowing the Father. And from henceforth, you have seen him and know him. And they said, Jesus, we aren't satisfied with you. Show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. That's awesome. Think about this. The disciples of Jesus weren't satisfied with Jesus. They wanted more. I'll tell you what, if you can't be satisfied with Jesus, you're just having trouble being satisfied. But you know the truth is that Jesus was in his physical body. He didn't radiate light except for one brief moment on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was clothed in flesh, and his flesh was just like yours and my flesh. 
It took faith to perceive Jesus, and they weren't satisfied with having to perceive God in their presence by faith. Jesus demonstrated his faith. He saw the dead raised. He walked on water. He calmed the seas. He fed the multitudes. He opened blind eyes. He cast out devils. Jesus was totally in control of everything that went on, and yet it still took faith to perceive that Jesus was God because Jesus got sleepy and tired and hungry just like anybody else. That physical body, people weren't satisfied with that. What they wanted was they said, man, if we could see the heavens open and if we could see God the Father and glory round about the throne and light radiating, if we could see the living creatures falling down and worshiping him, Lord, open up the heavens and let us see something spectacular and we'll be satisfied. They weren't satisfied with Jesus. God himself living in the flesh was not enough to satisfy the disciples. You know what? That's terrible. That's terrible that you couldn't be satisfied with God in the flesh, walking on the earth, showing love, ministering as no person had ever done, and yet it wasn't enough. It didn't satisfy these people. I want you to know you cannot be satisfied with things. And not only things, but this was spiritual. You know what? You cannot be satisfied with just Christian experiences. There's some people that are looking for, you know, a higher high. Man, you ran around the church four times. Next time you want God to hit you so strong, you got to run eight times. Man, you had God appear to you and God blessed you and you had glory bumps all up and down your spine in prayer. The next day you got to have more. You got to have something even better. People don't, aren't even satisfied with Jesus and loving them. And it's like if God was to do something miraculous and if he was to just, I mean, hit you and emotionally you were to experience something, well, the next time you'd have to experience more or you'd start wondering, well, why hasn't God blessed me the same as he did yesterday morning? How come last service wasn't as good as the week before? How come something special didn't happen? And if you aren't careful, you'll get to where it's like you have a hoop and God's got to jump through a bigger hoop every time, you know, a higher hoop. God's got to do something more. You've got to be satisfied. I mean, the, the pastor's got to do something wilder and weirder than last time to get you satisfied. You know what? There's a lot of people that aren't satisfied with Jesus. There's a lot of people that, God, it's not enough, the fact that you've forgiven me of my sins and that you've saved me and that you healed my body and saved my marriage and blessed me financially and all of this. Man, they're just hungry for more. Now, don't misunderstand this. There is a righteous type of hunger. There is a godly type of hunger, but the hunger is to receive and to manifest all of these things. But God, you've got to be satisfied that God has already blessed you with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1, 3. God's already given you everything that it takes. You don't need more from God. You're just hungry to see all of it manifest and to walk in the fullness of it. Amen? But not dissatisfied with what you've already got. Never discontent with what you've already got. And the sad thing is, I mean, most Christians are just like a little kid. You ever seen these kids? <laughs> little kids, you give them a Christmas present, you spend $100 on this Christmas present, they play with it for 10 minutes, and then they throw it down, and they're playing with the cardboard box that came in. I mean, within 10 minutes, it's like, well, that's old. Give me something new. You never give me anything. They just don't appreciate what they've got. I tell you, we become a... Society has spoiled people in the physical realm and in the spiritual realm, the same things happen. And you know what? Spirit-filled people can fall into this trap more than anybody else. Because, see, denominational people don't expect anything. 
They don't believe that you get any blessings in this life. You're just saved and stuck until you go to be with the Lord. I mean, all you do is you just put up with it and you go to church and you aren't expecting any joy. You aren't expecting any blessings. You're, you don't believe for anything. You shoot at nothing and hit it every time. But you know what? You become spirit-filled and all of a sudden you realize that, man, God is alive and that miracles happen and that people experience emotional things and you start seeing these things. And if you aren't careful, you'll become a junkie to where you've got to have God do something to you and feel something all of the time or you're dissatisfied. What's wrong with me? How come God hadn't blessed me? How come I hadn't fallen out in the last two or three days? How come I hadn't been overcome with laughter and etc.? There's nothing wrong with all those things. God does all of that. And praise God, we need refreshing. But I tell you what, you need to get to where you're content with God if God never did anything else. If he never moved in your life again, you ought to be just thrilled, overwhelmed, always excited and blessed with how good Jesus is to you. Man, every day ought to be an awesome day. If you ever forget it, just go back and remember what it was like when you were going to hell and you didn't have any hope and no vision and do a little comparative thing every once in a while and remind yourself where you've come from. Isaiah chapter 50 verse 1 says, Look to the rock from which you are hewn and to the hole of the pit from which you are digged. You're supposed to look both ways. You're not only supposed to look like Clifton was saying and recognize who you are in Christ and that God believes in you and that you can do it and see your righteousness, but you need to remember where you came from. You need to remember what you were before God found you. Amen. You need to remember what your life used to be like, and you need to remember both of those things, and, and you need to stay content. You need to stay to where, praise God, you're satisfied with Jesus, and you don't have to have something more. I have people come all of the time and ask me and say things like, man, I'm just praying, would you please pray for me that I could just feel God's love? And, you know, I, that just grates on me. I don't know exactly how God feels about it, but I really believe that if God could be sick and tired, he'd be sick and tired of hearing stuff like that. Well, brother, what's wrong with feeling God's love? God's already loved you. God's already commended his love towards you. The Scripture says that it'll never change. God loves you infinitely more than you could ever feel or experience, and we aren't satisfied with that. We've got to feel it. We've got to have a rush. We've got to have an emotion. We've got to have something. Boy, I tell you, a spirit of slap just wants to come all over me sometimes to where you grab people and... Like, what's wrong with you? Jesus died to forgive your sins. He's done all of these things for you and you're wanting a goosebump. You're wanting an emotion. Grow up. Pull your thumb out of your mouth. Amen? Begin to praise God for what he's got. And if you're deficient in your emotions, you work them up. You start praising God. You bless yourself. You stir yourself up. You get yourself to praising God. Man, it's amazing how many people are just waiting on God to do something. Man, you don't need to be waiting on God to do anything. He's done it all. Everything you need is in you. God has blessed you with all spiritual blessings. Everything is on the inside, and all you need to do is to stir it up. You need to refocus your attention. You need to put your attention on what God has been doing and start praising Him and become thankful. You know, we're in Romans chapter 1. Let me share these passages of Scripture with you. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. It's talking about verses 18 through 20, how the unbelievers have an intuitive knowledge of God on the inside of all of them so that they are without excuse. 
Even people that have never heard the word preached still know on the inside that there is a God and that they're, they're accountable to God. And then in verse 20, 21, he begins to start talking about their progressive walk away from this intuitive knowledge of God, how they begun to deny it. It ends up the last of the chapter talking about homosexuality, every type of perversion that you can imagine as being the end result. But notice how it begins in verse 21. Because that when they knew God, everybody at one time knew God. Everybody at one time had a knowledge of God on the inside of them. They glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened. There's a progression here. God gives an intuitive knowledge on the inside of every person. But if they don't glorify him as God... I tell you what, you're going to glorify something. It's human nature. You have to have something that you look to. If people don't have God, they make sports figures. Other people, they make idols, role models. People are always glorifying somebody. They're always establishing leaders. You're going to glorify somebody. With most of us, we glorify ourselves. You put yourself in the driver's seat. But if you don't glorify God, then the next step is you aren't thankful. You don't appreciate what you've got. And then the next step is your imaginations become vain. Then the next step is your heart becomes darkened to where you can't hear and perceive. Basically, a darkened heart, a hardened heart, basically is just talking about spiritual retardation. You can't think properly. You get to where nothing is straight. Everything is confused. And then the steps just go on. I tell you what, this is so descriptive of our society today. It's so descriptive of most Christians. Most Christians aren't glorifying God and giving him the glory that, they, that he deserves. The scripture says, give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. How in the world could you ever give the glory due unto the name of the Lord? How could we ever praise God enough for what he's done? Man, God is totally awesome, and yet we think that, you know, 10 minutes on Sunday morning, we glorified God, that's sufficient. Man, I've heard people before talk about when they get to heaven that they don't want to sit around and do nothing and twiddle their thumbs. They believe God's got worlds for us to rule and conquer and we're going to do this and do all of these things. And they talk about all the stuff they want to do. I don't know for sure what heaven's going to be like, but you know, from my perspective, I believe that probably, oh, 10, 20 million years wouldn't be sufficient to say thank you, thank you, thank you for letting me in, praise God. I believe that once we see people who are more righteous than us holier than us, did more good for the world than us, cast into hell because they didn't confess Jesus as their Lord. And man, the fear, the dread, the terror, when it finally dawns on us and we see things in proper light and then it comes our turn and he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant, not because of me, but because of my faith in the Lord. I think a few million years is going to be short time to praise God and thank him for letting me in. I tell you what, we're going to glorify God. When you see things properly, you'll glorify God. If you aren't glorifying God, man, if joy and praise and thanksgiving isn't in your heart, your brain's messed up. Your head's screwed up. If you're depressed and discouraged today, I, it's not because of your problems. It's because you're focused on your problems. You're looking at that one thing and you've missed the broader picture. I tell you, we need to be praising God. we got a lot to praise God for. If you just aren't thankful... Something's wrong with you. What does it take to make you thankful? Man, being redeemed from hell isn't enough. If that was all there was, that ought to be enough to make you thankful. 
That ought to be enough that you could praise God today. If there was no healing, if there was no deliverance, if there is no prosperity, if there was no Holy Ghost that came and ministered to us in our services, if you couldn't speak in tongues, you ought to be content with being saved and not going to hell. That ought to put a little spring in your step. And then you begin to think about all of the other things that God has given us and how in the world can you be down in the mouth and griping and complaining? It does not compute. But it's the same, it, what it is, it's Satan. Satan is doing the same thing to us that he did to Adam and Eve, that he did to Jesus' disciples to where they weren't even content with Jesus. Oh, show us the Father, let us see the glory of God, give us an even greater experience and we'll be satisfied. I can tell you what, if you weren't satisfied with Jesus, you wouldn't be satisfied even if you saw the Father. There's people that have seen visions and have been caught up into heaven and have had awesome things and you know what? It doesn't satisfy. You know, I have been blessed of the Lord over here in Arlington, Texas, March the 23rd, 1968. God supernaturally intervened in my life, gave me an experience that very few people ever have. And I mean, it's, I can't describe it to you, but God changed my life. I knew that I knew that I knew that God loved me. I never saw anything, heard anything audibly, but I had an explosion take place on the inside of me. And for four and a half months, I was caught up into the presence of the Lord. The love of God flowed through me so that I couldn't control it. I didn't eat or sleep consciously for four and a half months. I'm bound to have done both because I'm here. Amen. <laughs> but I mean, I, ne I never slept more than an hour at a time. I couldn't sleep. God was real. God loved me so much. How could you sleep? I had an emotional experience that very few people have ever been privileged to have. And you know what? After the emotion wore off, and it does wear off, it always wears off. You know why? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. There are some of you that are looking for some type of an experience like that. You're looking for something to where, man, you are just constantly swept up into the presence of God and you can't control it. It takes no faith, no effort. You just want to be swept along in the current. That's not God's will. I've experienced that. And I tell you what, it cannot be sustained. God doesn't want to sustain it. God doesn't want you to live that way. But you know what, when those emotions wore off, I spent 13 months in depression in Vietnam asking God to kill me. Not because of Vietnam, but because I didn't know what I did to get rid of that emotion. I didn't know what I did to cause it. I didn't know how to get back into that place to where I was just overwhelmed. And I mean... There's no way I can describe, I can't, I don't even have any words to describe what I went through. I mean, it was unbelievable and I didn't, I couldn't retain it and I spent 13 months saying, God, I can't live, I can't go back to being normal. How do you ever adjust after experiencing something like that? And I went through depression and discouragement. You know, sometimes the people who go the highest and experience some of the greatest things of God, if they don't understand the things that I'm talking about, they are susceptible to some of the greatest depression. There are some of you that, man, you can just go through the roof emotionally, but then you can go through the floor emotionally too. You're up and down, in and out. That's not the way that God made you to be. He said every valley would be exalted and the mountains and hills brought low. If you bring up the valleys and decrease the mountains and hills, that means it's smooth sailing. Your life ought to be consistent. It ought to be consistently going up, but it ought to be consistent. Peaks and valleys and highs and lows and depressed and then just overwhelmed is not the normal Christian life. That is not the way that God made you to be. 
And you know what? Out of desperation, I didn't know what to do. I even prayed that God had killed me, and I nearly got killed twice in one day over in Vietnam. I mean, it was, it was nothing but God that kept me alive. My sister in Shawnee, Oklahoma, prayed Philippians chapter 1 for me all night long, which was exactly during the exact same time that I nearly died twice. She kept me alive through her intercession. And you know what? I, it finally dawned on my lightning fast mind that this was not the right way to pray, that God had killed me. And out of desperation, I had to do something. I couldn't just seem to get a zing. I had to start reading the Word because I didn't have anything else to do. There was nothing else to do. And I started studying the Word 16 hours a day. And man, I began to start getting faith through God's Word. And I started having joy, unspeakable and full of glory and joy and peace, all of these kind of things through faith, not through feeling. And I, I found out that, you know what, my faith, my attitude, my emotions that I maintain by faith, I can control that. I can maintain that 100% of the time. That other thing where I was just kind of caught away in the, in, the, you know, in the flow of things, I couldn't control that. I didn't do anything to make it happen. I didn't do anything to make it go. It just comes and goes. Man, I found out that you can choose how you want to be. I choose how I am. I choose how my day is going to go. I've chosen how my life's going to go. I had some of my students the other day asking how I was, and I said, I'm blessed. And they said, you always say that. And I said, that's because I'm always blessed. And I said, I can tell you what, I'm going to be blessed next year too, and next week, and then the rest of my life. I've just chosen how I am. I am blessed. You can choose how you want to be. Y'all receiving this? See, the point that I'm making is you need to get focused on what God has done. You need to zero in on that and you need to start being thankful. You need to glorify Him for what He's done. Be thankful for what He's done. And I promise you, if you'll start praising Him for the 999 good things in your life, by the time you get to the one, you're going to be so full, so joyful, so happy, so thankful that I can guarantee you that one thing will not be a problem. It'll be like, God, you've done all of these other things. I know this one's going to fall in place. No problem. No problem. It'll change your attitude. Instead of starting with the negative, start with the positive. I mean, you ought to be smart enough to do that. You know, when people come forward for prayer, I've learned a long time ago that there are some people that just come and, man, they're ready. They're turned on. They are receiving already. And then there's others that come up there and it's like, I dare you to bless me. I dare you. I want to see if this stuff works. Did you know you don't start with the guy who's a hard case? You don't start with the guy who's turned off and not believing and then affect everybody else's attitude. You go over to the person that's turned on, the one that's ready to receive, and that's the one you pray with first. And man, you get them to receiving and it affects the attitude of the others. If you'll start with the positive and see the good things that God is doing, by the time you get to the negative, that negative will be swayed. Amen. It'll be changed. You ought to do the same in your life. I'm not saying that problems don't exist. I'm not telling you that problems don't exist and that you put your head in the sand and act like they aren't there. I'm telling you to focus on the positive and to be thankful and to see the good because you can never just be satisfied by the elimination of problems. Adam and Eve had no problems and they weren't satisfied. Jesus' disciples had Jesus walking on this physical earth, living like nobody has ever lived and they wanted more. They weren't satisfied. I tell you what that ought to do. That ought to show you that satisfaction is not in physical things, natural things. Adam and Eve had it all. 
and it's also not in even having God blessing and anointing in your life. You can miss it. You could have the power of God. You do have the power of God in your life, and yet many of you are missing it. You think, oh man, if I had all of these things you're talking about, I'd know it. Adam and Eve didn't know it. Jesus' disciples didn't really know who he was. They missed it because of the physical. They thought that, man, there's got to be more to it than this. And they weren't satisfied with Jesus. You know, the truth is, you got the same glory that raised Christ from the dead, the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwelling on the inside of you, and most of you don't think about that. Instead, you think about all of your problems. If the devil comes up to you and tells you and says, man, you don't have any faith, many of you just jump right in there with him and say, oh, man, that's true. And then you'd come forward, oh, pray for me that I'd have faith. The truth is that you've got the faith of the Son of God in you is what the Scripture says. You've got the measure of faith. God didn't give different measures of faith. He didn't bless some people with great faith and other people with small faith. All of us were given the faith of the Son of God. Some people use great faith. Some people use little faith. But you've got it. You've got the same faith that Jesus used when he raised Lazarus from the dead. It's on the inside of you. It's just your little brain that keeps it from working. It's like a car starting you know, you got the battery, you got this power source there that can start the thing, but if you got a loose cable, if you got a corroded cable, if there's a break in that connection, that power won't transfer from the battery to the starter and the car just sits there and clicks and nothing happens. And then, you know, I actually gave away a car one time because it wouldn't start and I'd tried everything, put new starters on it, did everything. And you know what the problem was? A loose battery connection. <laughs> I gave the car away because it had a loose connection. I was the one with the loose connection. <laughs> You know what, that's, you got the power of God, it's just you got a loose connection right here. you got a wire loose up here that keeps you from releasing it properly. You need to get your thinking straightened out and realize that, man, God has given you everything. You don't have a deficiency of faith. You don't have a deficiency of joy. You don't have a deficiency of power. You don't have a deficiency of anointing. What you got is a deficiency right here between your ears, the way you're thinking. And one of the things that will change that around is to start glorifying God for what He has done, being thankful for what He's done. Become satisfied and appreciative. Start operating in joy and peace. And you know what the end result will be? Then by the time you get to those negatives in your life, no problem. No big deal. Who cares? Amen. You can reach a place to where, God, you're so good to me that if I never saw this happen, I'm already blessed. You couldn't be depressed for being so blessed. But you know what I encounter all of the time? There are people that come up, and man, God has been good to them. God has blessed them. Awesome things happening in their life, and yet they're still discouraged. They're still defeated. They're never satisfied, and they're wanting more, 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 more. I tell you what, that's not a godly attitude. That is not right. Now, it's good to be hungry and say, Father, I know it's all in here, and I want to experience it, and I want to manifest it. I want to... I want to see it released in my life. There's nothing wrong with that type of hunger, but the hunger where you just sit here and say, man, my life is miserable, nothing's going right, and yet you're born again, spirit-filled, healed, delivered, anointed, gifted, blessed with all of these things, and you're still griping and complaining. Man, it makes, if I was God, I'd drop kick you right off the earth. <laughs> Good thing I'm not God. I tell you, I just, I don't have much patience. I, I get upset with myself when I think that way. It, and I just, it's a miracle that God loves any of us. Man, we are so blessed and we're so griping and complaining. 
Oh, man, the mercy. That's something you ought to praise God for today is the mercy and the grace of God that he hasn't given up on us and just wiped us out and started over. You know, he, chose, he wanted to do that one time. He told Moses in the 32nd chapter, get out of my way, I'm going to kill them all and start over and make a brand new nation out of you. I guarantee you the Lord's had those thoughts before. But you know what? Jesus forever ended that. Jesus made an atonement for us, and it's like Clifton was teaching this morning. Now we are hidden with Christ in God. God, we are, God doesn't see those negative things. God deals with us in mercy. He doesn't give us what we deserve. Man, you ought to praise God for that. You ought to praise God for the mercy and the long-suffering of God. Man, if you had not got something to praise God for, I guarantee you it's not God's fault. It's your fault. It's the, it's the focus. It's what you've allowed Satan to do. You need to recognize that Satan is subtle and he's a master at making people discontent. The most prosperous nation that has ever lived on the face of the earth and 99.9% .9 of all of its population are miserable because they don't have enough. Stupid. Man, the most blessed people. We are living in the greatest move of God, I believe, that has ever hit the face of the earth. God is moving. People are being saved. There are more people that have been saved in the last 10 years than have been saved in 2,000 years since the birth of Christianity. We are living in the greatest outpouring of the Spirit of God. We're seeing, man, miracles happen just 100 years ago. Nobody, nobody, nobody talked about the baptism of the Holy Ghost and miracles and stuff. 50 years ago, they had a revival of healing and things. It was weird. People were getting kicked out of churches and ostracized for it. And today, man, it's become normal. Charismatics are the largest, the fastest growing group of Christianity. It's taken over South America. South America, and they, they speculate that uh, Africa is going to be the majority. It'll be the most Christianized nation on the face of the earth in the next four years. We're seeing the most awesome outpouring of God. I've seen, I'm, I personally know over 38 people who've been raised from the dead. You know, there's only eight people in all of the Bible, nine if you include Jesus, who were raised from the dead. And I personally know 38 people. I've seen two people raised from the dead. That is some kind of miracle. We are seeing awesome things happen. And yet we're discontent. And talking about, oh God, we're so miserable. We need a move of God. We do need a move of God right between your ears. <laughs> right between our ears. Am I saying that we are experiencing everything and that we don't want more? No, I want more because it, there's people that haven't understood this yet. But I guarantee you, God is doing awesome. God is doing wonderful with what we're giving Him to work with. But we're in pleading with the Lord like, Oh, God, move as if it was God that didn't want to move. God's moving more than He deserves to move. He's moving more than we deserve for Him to move. Man, it's the mercy of God that He's doing anything with us. God is a good God. We're experiencing awesome things. And I tell you what, we need to focus on that. Our news media is so negative, it reports all of the negative stuff. You know, I saw a person just last week that didn't even have an eardrum, had it surgically removed. You can't hear without an eardrum. I prayed with this lady, and instantly she was healed. And instantly she was able to hear. I mean, it was miraculous. I don't know if God just gave her hearing or if he put an eardrum in there. I don't know how it happened. But that's awesome. But you'll never read about that in the paper. They don't report those things. They don't report good stuff. They're going to report all of the negative things. They're going to tell you about all the rapes and the murders and the crime rate and all the economic news. It's amazing. 
It's amazing. I tell you what, you cannot depend on the world to turn around and tell you these positive things. You need to make a decision and say that from now on, praise God, I'm going to quit being a murmurer or a griper and a complainer and I'm going to be a person that praises God. It has to be your choice. You have to do it. You have to encourage yourself in the Lord. You can't wait on somebody else to do it. You need to encourage yourself in the Lord your God. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for the word. I praise you, Jesus, for these scriptures. I thank you for the Holy Ghost showing us these things and Father teaching us that contentment is not in things. It's not based on circumstances. But Father, it's just a choice that we have to choose to be content. We have to choose to be happy and to walk in your joy and in your power. Father, I ask you for that, and I ask you to reveal this to people and to make it real to them, Father. I ask you to get this across to people's hearts right now. And Father, for those that have been negative, that have looked on the, the negatives in their life instead of all of the positive things that you've done, I'm asking that today, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Father, you'd help them to just lift up their eyes Look beyond those problems and see your blessing, your goodness. That, Father, we would let the joy of the Lord come in and be our strength. That we'd use that joy to still the enemy and the avenger and to release your power into our life. Father, we choose to rejoice. We choose to rejoice today and we choose to use our faith and glorify you and be thankful for the great things that you have done. Father, as we do that, I believe that our imaginations begin to start focusing on godly things, that our heart loses its darkness, and that, Father, we begin to see things clearly. Father, I thank you for that. We just agree, and we receive this, Father. We receive deliverance from this oppression, discouragement that is invading our world today. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Praise you, Lord Jesus. 